Oblate School of Theology is a Catholic graduate school that provides theological education for the Church's mission and ministry in the world. Inspired by the charism of the missionary Oblates of Mary Immaculate, Oblate School of Theology educates, forms, and renews men and women to preach the gospel to the most abandoned. OST prepares Catholic priests, deacons, seminarians, non-Catholic clergy, women religious, and lay ministers through the integration of pastoral experience and theological study. Visit ost.edu to learn more about program options. That's ost.edu. Welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. It's good to be with you, Ashley. Good to have you. Um, We're recording this on Wednesday, June 3rd. Uh, Like the rest of the country, we are watching the protests that have erupted in uh, cities across this country in the wake of the death of George Floyd and other acts of police brutality. So we just wanted to acknowledge that off the top um, and let you know what you can expect from this week's episode. Yeah, we've been feeling what feels like the full gamut of emotions, like a lot of people, sadness, anger, confusion despair and maybe even hope in times. But uh, next week, we are going to be bringing back a former co-host, Olga Segura, who you probably know is finishing up a book on Black Lives Matter in the Catholic Church. Yeah, so we're definitely going to do a deep dive into what's going on in the country right now. Um, But in the meantime, before we bring Olga back on, uh, America is covering uh, the situation in the country in other ways. So if you go to America's website, americamagazine.org, you can check out um, articles by Olga, by Zach, um, an editorial by the editors of America Media, and also hop on over to our Facebook group, Jesuitical's Facebook group, where we're having some really important conversations. Right. Back to this week's show, though, for a little bit. It is not related to the news cycle, but it is a super important conversation that we recorded last week with a super interesting person that we think you're going to like. So, Ashley, who are we talking to this week? We are talking to the comedian Pete Holmes. He is the host of the podcast You Made It Weird and the author of the memoir Comedy Sex God. And most recently, he was a guest writer on The Simpsons. Uh, He guest wrote two episodes called Warren Priests. And we did not think we could have this conversation without our friend Vivian Cabrera, who I think it's fair to say is a big fan of Pete. Welcome back, Vivian. Hello. Thank you for having me back. I was just so excited about having Pete on the show. It it was my idea. I believe it was your idea and that you, you've read his book three times. <laughs> I have. And I just want to note that uh, Zach has made fun of me for reading this book for more than once. <laughs> Uh, but joke's on you, my friend. Yeah. No, we are so glad you recommended this guest because I absolutely loved the memoir. Um, but can you first tell us why you love Pete so much? Yeah, I think I um, encountered this book shortly after it came out. But I was just moved by the frank conversations that he was having about struggling with how he was raised Christian and how it maybe didn't fit in with the world that he was living in. Um, and it just, I think a lot of people are going to be able to relate to, to, to kind of that tension where we live our life and kind of the faith we were raised in. 
Um, and he just does it in a way that I think invites dialogue for a lot of different people. He's also hilarious. Yeah, very <laughs> like, funny. It's a very meaty and like heavy story um, about faith and love and divorce and find losing faith and finding it again but i like laughed out loud multiple times oh, while yeah. reading it yeah and to give you an idea the book that we're talking to him about was blurred by everyone from sarah silverman to conan o'brien to father richard Rohr, who said he might just be the new thomas merton yeah and i think that um if you're interested in any sort of conversation about spirituality or where your faith fits in with the life you're living i think like this book will be a good um, conversation starter for you. Yeah, especially if you're in a kind of seeking mode right now. Like, Pete is not a person who's going to, like, try to give you the answers. He very much, like, has been on his own journey and is encouraging people to to do the work to, like, get to know God uh, in their own lives in a way that maybe is different from what they were handed down as children. Uh, and the interview ran pretty long, so we're not going to do our regular Signs of the Times or Consolations and Desolations this week, because we, we wanted to give this interview a little bit of room to breathe. Yeah, uh, we hope you enjoy this conversation uh, with Pete Holmes. And if you do find it moving um, and there's someone in your life who you think would benefit from a conversation like this, um, we definitely encourage you to share it with them and continue having that conversation. All right, so here is Pete Holmes. I hope you enjoy the conversation, and we'll see you next week. We have a two-year-old who would much rather you be playing with her. So we appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, it's been a trip. Um, <laughs> she got up at six this morning, which was three and a half hours ago. Okay. And uh, it was one of those mornings where I'm like, by eight, I was like, we've done everything <laughs> <laughs> that we do. Like, But it really is a very deep spiritual practice because if you think, what are we going to do? And then what are we going to do? And then what are we going to do? You're instantly miserable. <laughs> I catch myself, we went on a walk and uh, I, I'm trying to get her to go in a direction. I'm trying to get her to go around the block, you know? So like the walk will have a, a length that's appropriate for her that will see some nice trees or whatever. And then it'll lead us back home. And of course she has no interest in that. And I said to myself out loud, uh, oh, now we're going this way. And that's what the mind uh, does, right? I mean, the mind mm -hmm. makes a story, and now we're going this way. And my baby is just going that way. You know, like there's no, <laughs> and now we're going this way, which is the wrong direction, which is not around the block. And that causes me suffering. And I'm not even, I don't consider myself like an anal person. I like to think I'm, I'm a free person. I'm, everybody likes to think they're pretty easygoing, right? But I'm just like, I had to, what so many spiritual teachers say, I had to drop the story. I was like, it's not, and now we're going this way. It's just, just this, just this, just this. One of my favorite Richard Rohr books, just this, just this, the, the best mantra. Yeah. So it sounds like your your child is a is a good spiritual teacher, uh, but I'm hoping we can go back to when you were a child first. Um, sure. So you you grew up being pretty into religion. I think it's fair to say. Um, how, you know, looking back all these years later, how would you describe that God you grew up with? Yeah, I, the, it, it's pretty common. Although I guess I'll I'll play it safer and just speak for myself. 
It's basically uh, a nudge to the right of Zeus. <laughs> it's it's uh, and it and it's very, I believe it's Socratic. It's very Socrates. It's very like uh, the body is evil and and the spirit is elsewhere. And then it's also Greek. And that uh, there's a there's an old man on a throne in the sky. And by the way, if anybody still believes in that God, I don't want to belittle that. Mm-hmm. I actually I discussed that in my book. There's there's a way in which that is a, a true and and certainly valid and fine way to look at things. But I did take it very very literally. Um, the God that I believed in, I joke in the book, was the Burger King King. If you remember those <laughs> commercials, they sort of had a resurgence in the early two thousands, I think, and that was my God. Which, you know, and this is sort of what I, what happened was I, I, I lost my faith. And then the way that I started to get back into it was Joseph Campbell. And Joseph Campbell taught me what a metaphor is. And as our, as my homeboy Richard Rohr says, metaphor is the only language we have to speak about the divine. That, that reopened, that reintroduced me in a loving way to that attempt at understanding the ununderstandable, which is the divine mystery, which is, okay, uh, old, meaning eternal, meaning it's been around a long time. Uh, Man, unfortunately, means powerful. I'm not agreeing with that, but I think that's why Zeus is a man and and this god that I pictured was more like a dad energy. He was powerful. (laughs) And above us, meaning he had like a, a higher perspective. If you climb a mountain, you can see the whole town, right? So he's all knowing and he's been around and he's powerful. So my whatever intellectual proclivity or whatever you want to call it, wanted to go deeper and wanted to deconstruct what I really meant by that, because I do not believe in an old man in the sky. But as George Harrison would say, it's also that too. It is that. It is that. If, if that's what you want, it's that too. How would you describe the the church community that you grew up in? I, I grew up as a youth group kid, so I was reading your yeah. your bio. A, a lot of things rang f- felt true, um, even yeah. though I was in a Catholic youth group, and sounds like you were in uh, a non denominational one. What was the what was that church community like for you? Yeah, I always felt like non denominational in my church, which was Grace Chapel, was just code for evangelical. I don't know why mm-hmm. we call ourselves non denominational. Yeah, like if you were Pentecostal and you went there, you would have felt out of place. If you were Catholic and you went there, you would have felt out of place. But I understand the sentiment, and I'm not even I'm not trying to be a nice guy here. I understand what they're going for, and I admire that. They call themselves non-denominational. In my experience, the more I saw evangelical churches, I was like, we were an evangelical church. We were missions-based. I went on a lot of missions trips. We were believing uh, very, very literally and firmly that you had to invite Jesus into your heart. Usually, um, and this isn't me putting words in their mouth. This was explained in a pamphlet that was in every pew back that was like, you need to pray this prayer. And then Jesus will come in your heart, and then you will not go to hell. You will not be, and let's be clear what that means, you will not be tortured forever in conscious living pain as your separate self in a place called hell, (laughs) right? Right. Um, So that was our mission. Um, And that is why we went on missions trips. I mean, like, for a lot of my life, I when I had to explain it, you know, I'm a comedian, so not a lot of my friends were religious in any way. I I would sort of dodge it by being like, yeah, we built houses. It was like Habitat for Humanity. That's sort of true, 
But we were building a house, like putting pizza out at a youth group to try and get kids over or try to get the Yanomami Indians over so we could say, hey, you're going to hell. <laughs> you know, that, that was, that was, it was a bait and switch. There was a house, <laughs> but that's, that's, not, that's not why we were there, um, although the house was nice. Um, so the community was, and I really, I, I, I'm, I'm currently practicing keeping my heart open because I do have a love for this community and I was a part of this community. So when I'm talking about it, as Richie, my Richard Rohr would say, I'm trying to transcend and include. I've, I've moved elsewhere, but I'm trying to in- include, right? But the feeling was very, uh, you know, it, I'm just going to speak frankly because I'm a comedian. It felt very phony. It was very phony. It was like, it was a social scene. It was sort of like a country club uh, in that sense. From my child perspective, it might be different now, but it was where you went to be nice. And that was the Christianity that I still find myself having to redefine is the the Christianity of polity and the Christianity of just, uh, you know, I knew how my parents were at home and then I knew how we were at church. And that's where I sort of learned that you not only wore church clothes, but you wore a church disguise. And, and, and that was the what I learned was like, you want to fit in because these are nice people and they're good people and you want their love and you want to feel normal. It was very much like, Hey brother. That was like my youth pastor, like just like a lot of enthusiasm (laughs) and a lot of positivity. And then I don't want to jump ahead, but I remember somebody that I I actually love very dearly, even though I, I think we probably disagree on a lot of things theologically, one of the associate pastors, when my um, wife and I split up and one of the few times that I went to church after that, he said to me, he goes, yeah, the church doesn't really know what to do with pain. And I was just like, thank you. Like, it, I still love that, man. Like, we still text wow. sometimes, even though, like, I, I, I don't know his theology. And, and frankly, it's too hot button for me to get into. You know what I mean? It's like, there's certain folks for better or worse. I just don't want to get into it. I don't know why maybe I'm wrong, but I'm still grateful that he was like honest enough to be like, we fail in these situations because it wasn't the Christianity of divorce it was the Christianity of, uh, things going well. And, and that, and that was my Burger King, King God was, was a, a protection service. I didn't swear. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I didn't have sex. And that was how I paid into the mafia that my wife, when I got married, when I was 22, would not have an affair. And then when she did, I was like, well, what is this all about? I thought I was doing my part. And that's when I got very interested in Buddhism and Hinduism. And, and, and I ended up circling back to Christ, but a Christ that is inclusive, which is weird that you have to say this about a faith that's centered on the crucifixion of a man. Uh, you know, that we have to remind yeah, that's pretty us. pretty painful. That's well, what that, I'm saying. Catholics are staring at that like every week. I, I'm not saying we are necessarily better at handling our, our trauma and our pain, but, but it's definitely present more, I feel like, in our No, and dude, I, you're right on the money. I used to be so proud of the Protestant cross because it was Jesus-less 
because we were worshiping the risen Christ, right? Mm -hmm. And now, because I'm so into Richard and other wonderful theologians like him, the point is Jesus on the cross. The point (laughs) is winning by losing. The point is the suffering and the solidarity of God in our suffering, that when I am suffering, and a lot of us are suffering right now, that God is also suffering. That is the point. Instead of the country club, everyone's nice here, everyone's saved here, let's have a ham sandwich, and let's just be polite. And 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 no one knows what to do Again, maybe it's different now, but nobody knows what to do with the divorce Mm -hmm. because you just farted in the elevator. You're ruining the (laughs) illusion for all of us. We're God's chosen people. He doesn't let your wife have an affair. He doesn't, you know, you're a loser. You're a loser. And we're winners. Look at our clean clothes and look at our... Our, our our spread like we are winners. Jesus rose. He have you heard the good news? We're the we're the in group, and and you can't have a divorce in the in group. <laughs> like, yeah, um, uh, <laughs> I kind of I kind of want to go back to that sense of community that you had. It was so kind of influential to who your identity, who you were. What did it feel like to know that maybe you when you didn't fit in it, or like? What was going through your mind when you realized that there was that this facade that the community that you'd grown up with was maybe not what you believed or wanted to believe anymore? Yeah, it it happened when I so clearly, and th- that's what the book is about. Is it's the story of losing my. I was I wanted to call it "Lose Your Faith to Find It." I thought that was kind of like a funny title, like "Lose Your Faith" in big w- letters and then mm. to find it in small mm-hmm. letters, kind of like. Mm. Uh, almost like clickbait. I wanted to like excite you and then be like, but I'm, I'm with you. I love God. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, But so I thought that was cheesy. So I went with a a different title or whatever, but it came when my wife, uh, who was also evangelical, we we met in a, a Christian college and then she had an affair. So it's important to note that that's when I'm 28. So it was working, but it wasn't working. I mean, like, my, one of my great teachers, Ramdas, uh, was a teacher, at, a professor at Harvard, right? And and at a time when that was even more prestigious and and exciting, and he he talks about it in a similar way that I feel about the church when I grew up is that they were all going around as if they had it, and he was like, but deep down, somewhere unspeakable, he knew they didn't have it. You know what I mean? It was still phony, what- right? It was phony. It was it was just playing the role of the academic, right? Of the guy who has it. And mm-hmm. and again, I'm just speaking about myself. There were probably brilliant I'm gonna stop apologizing by the way, but there were probably <laughs> brilliant people in genuine relationship with God for sure, without a doubt. But for me, it was about playing a part, looking like a winner looking normal, looking American, looking, you know, there's that line in The Departed where he's like, you should get married. Uh, Married men do better. Uh, I won't say it in the language he said it, but he's like, it lets people know that you're straight. It lets people know that Mm -hmm. you're sexually active. Um, So there's this posturing to it. And and that's true. Uh, married people do tend to do better in the workforce, you know, because of this sort of mammalarian signal. And and that's what was going on with church. So it worked as long as the chips kept coming my way. 
uh, I felt fine in the country club religion because it was working and I was clean and fine. Uh, and if I had nastiness or ugliness or doubt or rage or fear, um, I just did what everybody uh, or a lot of people I knew did. And you just suppressed it. And you went around and you said, hey, buddy. And, and you did your best to, to suppress. Um, so when my wife and I split and I looked back, it was um, a loss that I had to mourn. It, it manifested first, as it does with a lot of former believers, as anger. And I sort of uh, became one of those people that loved telling people that what no nobody wrote anything that Jesus said down until 150 years after he died. Stuff like that. You know what I mean? Basically, my mm-hmm. Bill Maher phase. I, I'm not putting yeah. down Bill Maher. I'm just saying, like, I went and saw a religious shortly after my divorce, and I was like, this is my stuff. I love this. Like, I'm going to be the guy that goes like, you really believe a snake told a naked lady to eat an apple? <laughs> and, dude, if there's one thing I can say, because I know – uh, people of faith and, and people interested in faith listen to this podcast. I just want to put a time limit on that period. I'm going to say four years. You can't stay the uh, uh, angry. I was going to say ugly. Maybe that's a Freudian slip, but an ugly, angry deconstructionist for more than you were in college. You just can't. It's like, it's boring. We've heard it. It's over. Like if you're done with it, be done with it. But going around like like I was sort of tempted to do, and telling people who were just like you, you just you were just like them, telling them that they're idiots. It's like people that quit smoking that immediately start lecturing smokers on how stupid they are when you were a smoker thirty days ago. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? And that so that anger. And it's natural. I'm giving you four years. That's pretty generous to be angry and to and to belittle and to condescend. Enjoy it. It's natural. It's emotion. It's a part of being human. But if there's one thing I can share on this podcast that I want to get out there, it's like, please put a time limit on it for the sake of your heart and for the sake of others. If you want to be done with it, be done with it. But the angry militant, like, you idiots, like, find some compassion and find some patience and and find something new to say. Um, but but it, it first manifested as anger, then disappointment and sadness. I went through all the stages of grief and then the reconstruction. But it, it also seems like, I thought one of the most poignant parts of your book is you describe having dinner with your parents and your brother. Um, and it's kind of like right before you go into your atheist phase and he's, he's doing the thing he does where he, you know, quizzes you about like, okay, so like, are babies going to hell or are everyone who died in the Holocaust, they're going to hell. Am I going to hell? And like it, that qu- yeah. question like hits you in a new way. Um, yeah. So it seems like when you, enter this phase of, you know, not being a part of your old community, not really believing in God, you lost a lot, but it, you were able to like gain a new perspective that oh, yeah. was also like very opening and let you love maybe a wider community in a new way. Oh yeah. I, the, there's a line in the book where I say I became far more Christ-like after I stopped being a Christian and I got my first taste of freedom, a freedom I still enjoy by the way, which is the freedom of what I like to call um, 
heart-centric atheists. Like Penn Jillette talks about the cornerstone of atheism being, I don't know, right? It sort of became the certainty that there is nothing going on. But really what, what he taught me is that atheism at its core as a revolution, as like something pretty modern was, I don't know. And he's like, no scientific movement, no government movement, no king, no teacher ever had before this the the gall to be like, I don't know. And when I went into the place of I don't know, which I still, of course, have, even though I have all these words and all these thoughts and all these practices, it's still built on a pretty substantial foundation of I don't know, and we don't know, and we actually can't know. We can get into that later. You can become, you can merge with, you can flow with, but you can't know or hold it. You can just kind of lose yourself into the mystery. Once I got that, the reason the chapter is called a Horatheist is because I was a Horatheist. I loved it. It was wonderful. I was walking around with the burden of believing that every Jew in the Holocaust went to hell. Like that is not good news. That is a terrible terrible, terrible burden that if you are an imaginative and tender-hearted kid like I was, and I hope that I still am, that is a heavy thing to walk around with and have to tell my brother that the monk that falls in the ravine that never hurt anybody, he's going to hell, or the person that grew up on an island and never heard of Christ, he's going to hell. But when I read Love Wins, I was like, that's right on. This, this burden needs to be addressed. And when I uh, became an atheist, which by the way, my father, even though he read my book, said to my mother, I was there. He was like, he doesn't mean it. He was never an atheist. (laughs) He couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't couldn't allow that in. And even though I thought if I wrote a book and put my life in black and white, it would finally reach my parents. It doesn't matter. They'll smokescreen and they'll snow job anything that I say to stay the child that they imagine me to be. It doesn't matter how many times I tell this story on podcasts because he can't handle that. I f- was. I dropped it and I received a lot of freedom and spaciousness that, by the way, I still enjoy now in Christ. Do you understand? Like, it's not just for them. The choices aren't dogma and drudgery or freedom, (laughs) there's freedom, believe it or not, in faith. It it doesn't have to be uh, shackles. It it was never supposed to be shackles. Why do you think so many people find comfort in that sort of black and white, in-crowd versus out-crowd message, when it seems pretty clear that that's not really what Jesus was about? No. Jesus, I mean... Now that I study Jesus again and and read Richard again, or not again, or found Richard Rohr, I mean, he one of my favorite things that Richard says in almost all of his books is, how did we miss this? And if you look at the stories and the parables and the teachings of, of Jesus, it's over and over and over these stories, which as Rob Bell says, which basically the point is you can't divide infinity which I love, meaning like you need to step out of that dualistic in out mentality. He's always telling stories of people who arrive late to the workday, but get paid the same. He tells stories about things being lost and then, and then found that the, the story of the forgiving father, of course, the prodigal son comes back 
by rights, our ego wants that son to be punished. The, and, and the good son wants the bad son to be punished. And he's not. And guess who hates that story? The ego. The ego wants to know it's special. I'm a comedian. I'm in show business. I'm an ego expert. I understand. I, I want to be adored for a living. So I have a master class in what the ego is. And it does not want to think that everybody's already accepted. It wants to think it's earned and special and our club is in and your club is out. It feels good because if we let go of that, the ego for some reason wants to exist and it starts to vanish. If you take away its specialness or its conflict or its its debates, it's in the scriptures, it's in the scriptures. If you take that away from it, it vanishes. And that is very, very, very uncomfortable. If you just start to feel like you are nothing or you're everything, or you're just another wave in the ocean, you don't want to be a wave in the ocean. You want to be the most special, beautiful wave. You know what I'm saying? It's it's a huge threat. And that's why another great thing to share is Richie's, the way that Richie puts it is he says, the whole thing is to accept that you are accepted. That's the game. That's conversion is to realize that you were there the whole time. By the way, it's, it's there in Buddhism. It's there in Hinduism. It's there as, as Richie would say, in all of the major religions at their more mature levels, huh? That's what he would say. <laughs> There's a uh, Richard Rohr quote that you've mentioned a couple of times um, in the podcast you host, um, how you do anything is how you do everything. Uh, yeah. And I know this can feel like a lot of pressure for some people instead of maybe like leading them to more awareness. It can feel like I have to do everything perfectly because yeah. once I do something, it's how I do everything. Right. Um, yeah. And I know that can be even more difficult given this time of like, of like quarantine. Well, all we have to do is think about all the things that we're doing. Um, yeah. But I'm wondering how like you see that in kind of the life you are living now, given that we're in just a world that looks very different from where we were. Um, yeah, I, I think something like how you do anything is how you do everything isn't an invitation to critique yourself. It's an, in, it's a, it's an invitation to get curious, as Jack Cornfield would say. Get curious about yourself. So if you're going on a walk with your daughter and she starts going, the wrong way. And that makes you angry. In that story that I told to, to start us off, I didn't go, ah, Pete, you stink. You're so uptight. It's a gift. It's in, it's Intel. It's, it's data. And you go, right. Everything is, it's all one thing. There's this great teaching. It's in Ram Dass wrote this book on meditation. I, for, I forget what it's called. But there's a, it's filled with quotes. And one of these quotes, is, I believe, is from a Zen monk. And he's talking about like when you're doing a task, one-tenth of the task is the task. Nine-tenths of the task is keeping your center. Is, is, or we could say not forgetting who you are or staying in connection or staying in flow or staying zoomed out or staying equanimous, calm, staying peaceful, staying in love. You could You could say it however you want. So when you notice that when a plane lands and you're on, back in our old lives and you're on the tarmac for 40 minutes, if you're pinched there, 
you can get mad at yourself for being pinched. Oh, I blew it. That's sort of willpower Christianity. That's the Christianity I was grown up in. Oh, I've sinned. I'm bad. I'm unworthy. Or you can just go, interesting. If that's how I am here, that's how I am. And I need to, first of all, just having that awareness of it is putting light on it. And that's what casts out darkness, just having some consciousness, not doing things on autopilot, not doing things just because these are the ABCs of me, baby, I'm angry. Just going like, oh, I'm angry. What does that say? Where, where is there something tense? Where is there something calcified that I need to breathe some air into, that I need to give some space, that I need to give, that I need to honor and love and, and, and say, what's going on? That's what I do when I'm heckled. If I'm heckled as a standup, you say to the heckler, what's going on? What's up? You know what I'm saying? It doesn't always work because they're often very drunk, but like you can do it to yourself. You're just like, what's going on? You do the same thing with a pain in your body. What is the message here? It's often slow down. Be kind to yourself. Uh, You're doing too much. I need, like, how often have you gotten sick because you just needed a week to watch TV and and eat crackers? You needed that. So your body's like, well, he's not getting it. Let's, Let's shut it down. All right, here you go. So you do that with anything. So I see the, the, the potential for how you do anything being how you do everything to be like the people that I knew when I was growing up that would try to not sin in a day. Like people that I knew people like that. They were like, I'm just going to, the today will be the day. I think it's possible. I'm going to not sin today. And then at the end of the day, like joy and inside out, all the memories are yellow. Okay, great. We did it. Okay. And then what? If you're micromanaging and you're being that anal retentive and you're being that hard on your flaws and your shadow and your, and your humanity, then that's how you do everything. And that's how you treat your friends. That's how you treat your dog. That's how you're treating your strangers. That's the message. And, and it's often just ease up, ease up, ease up. <laughs> so it sounds like you went from like, you know, an adolescence where there were very clear rules to a place where um, maybe, I don't want to say you're, I don't know, how would you describe your kind of like moral guideposts now? Like, do you, is there such thing as sin in your spirituality? Is there, are there rules? Do rules have a place in, in your spirituality or do you think they're can be helpful for other people? Of course. I, I'm a, a big believer, again, a lot of this was taught to me uh, uh, by people like Richard, but it's like, that's first half of life stuff. And when you're young, or as Ramdas said, you have to be somebody before you can be nobody, right? So you can't just go and tell an eight-year-old that they are the one consciousness <laughs> and, and, and love God and do whatever you want. That doesn't work. The the rules are there. I mean, this is Jesus and the wineskins, right? We're, we're, we're build a container, have a container. But then at a certain point, the container breaks. This is throwing over the tables in the temple. This is the disruption. And that's part of it. That's why I lose your faith to have it. So anyway, when it comes to rules and, and, and sin and structure, I'm so glad that I had it. 
I wish it had been done with more of a twinkle in the eye, more of a, this is just the game we're playing right now because you're a young person. Uh, and when, when you're ready, I'm going to, you know, teach you a little bit more the way of the samurai, you know, like the deep stuff, like this is going somewhere. But I, I kind of, I didn't get that feeling. Again, maybe it was there and I just was, I, I was not hearing it. But I, sin is, is a thing and sin is static on the radio for me. It's, it's, uh, it's just, you, do, you want to not sin, not because of a demerit system, in my opinion, but because you want the song. You want the song to come through the radio clean because that's where the life is and that's where the joy is. I, I'm very lax with myself, possibly too much. I don't know if that's possible, but like, I also have some discipline. I, I can identify behaviors that are leading to what I would call hell, leading to isolation, the opposite of connectivity, the opposite of being interconnected, the opposite of knowing who I am, that I am a dignified, valued member of all that is, and behaviors that don't uh, highlight that, behaviors that make me feel isolated and alone and self-sufficient, and I can do everything myself and I don't need anybody. I always go to sexual examples. My problem with pornography, for example, isn't necessarily pornography, right? Uh, as Jack Cornfield just said on my podcast, he's like, people are lonely. And he had all this compassion for people that are looking at pornography. And it really moved me. I was like, wow, this guy just outloved me. And I really thought that was cool. <laughs> and then I was like, the reason I, for me, am against it uh, at times, you know what I'm saying, when I work on that, is because the Pete that's looking at porn and just getting his sexuality out of the way, basically with an app, you know what I'm saying? In the same way that I order food when I'm hungry, you just order images of people having sex when I'm horny, is not the same as cooking with my wife. You know what I'm saying? I can just order a pizza. Ooh, I ate the pizza. Nothing wrong with it. But like getting the ingredients and heating up the oven and chopping things with my baby and, and Val, or if it's not, if you're not married with a family, your roommate or your friends, we all know that's the kingdom of heaven. We all know that that joining together and that communion is where Christ tends to show up in even more bright colors. So there's nothing wrong with a pizza. There's nothing really wrong with pornography. I know we can get into ethics and pornography and uh, exploitation, but I'm saying from a certain altitude, we can just say, you looking at porn and masturbating because you're afraid to share the vulnerability of your need with your partner or with uh, your friends, just telling them like, I'm blindly horny or I have this weird fantasy. That's where, that's where God is, is, is the acceptance, not the extinguishing of all of our fires. Like, and by the way, most of the time I'm, I'm looking at porn is because I'm angry or I'm scared or I'm alone. You know what I'm saying? That's the sin. That That's the thing I'm trying to clear up. It's not one behavior. It's about, they're like rocks in the river. You move the rock. The rock wasn't evil. The rock wasn't a flaw in the system. The rock was there to teach me, oh, here it is, here's a rock, and here's me moving the rock, not because the rock is bad, but because I want the river 
clean and flowing. I want it unattached. I also want it unadversed. I want it to let go and realize, by the way, this is something that Richard talks about. You're in a river. You can let go. It's happening. You and I, everybody on this podcast right now is moving. We're moving through time and space. Let go, let go, let go. And, and that's what sin is to me. It's anything that's it's keeping me from my connection and it's keeping me from communion with others with, and, and with God and, and people being a vessel for that connection. You talked earlier about the church you grew up with not knowing what to do with pain. And I'm wondering if, you know, th- this transition from beginning of life to middle of life or old wineskins to new wineskins, it-, it seems like for you in the book, and this is, I think, common for a lot of people, that it has to come through through suffering, right? Like for you, it was a divorce, but for other people, it's death of a loved one or some great tragedy. Uh, do you Do you think that that necessarily has to be true that we sort of need to be broken down to be built back up. And even just saying it like that makes me want to ask God some difficult questions. Yeah. Um, but what's your sense on that? For sure. But who, but who's, who's being broken? Mm-hmm. That's, that's the only game in town. My, my wife, Valerie, I don't think she would mind. She, she had an episode like, um, I don't know what you would call it, but she went into a dark period and, um, now a lot of what we do is sometimes we'll talk about her fear that she's she'll go back. It's almost like the sunken place uh, in, in Stranger Things, like just everything goes upside down and and dark. And it's so funny in our belief. Again, these are just thoughts. If they're helpful, great. If they're not, uh, who cares? Um, but it's like, who was it? Like you didn't think you could handle that, and yet here you are. So. I guess you are not what you thought you were. I didn't think I could handle the public humiliation, first and foremost, the heartbreak. Um, I had all these plans, children that we had names for, that we were going to have, places we were going to go, things we were going to do, and a love we were going to share. I did not believe that I could handle that going away. Uh, It went away, and I'm still here then here's where suffering gets its juice is if you ask yourself the question after the morning, I'm not saying we need to rush in with this um, rationalization or this, hey, suffering is grace. You never do that in the moment. You you do it years later in, in most cases, but you say, well, if you did the thing that you thought you couldn't do and you're still here, you must not be who you are. So that thing that you think you are is a story, like me saying my daughter, now we're going this way. It's a story. It's a personality. It's a psychology. It's a result of conditioning from your culture, from your parents, but it's gone. Where is it? Show it to me. Where is it? It's a computer program of responses. Hey, I'm a cool guy. So when you say, hey to me, I say, what's up? Because I'm a cool guy, right? Show it to me. Put it on the table. Where is it? The only thing that I can see that is, is isness itself, is my soul, which we can just say is my awareness, is my consciousness, is the spark of life in me that's looking out my eyes right now. That's the gift of suffering for some. I I can't speak for others, but for me, 
if you took the idea of Pete Holmesness and then you hit it with a sledgehammer and it's gone, what is still there? Almost everybody experiences great love and great suffering. And that to me feels like the character of God. Great love, great suffering will find you anywhere. And you can look at that as a bad thing, or you can look at it as I do, as unbelievably wonderful grace and truth that's right on your heels. Yeah. And that I know you're um, more of a Richard Rohr fan, but I'm wondering, when when I hear you talking, it sounds a lot like Ignatian spirituality, um, which is, you know, we're a, we're a Jesuit magazine, so we're, we're all kind of steeped in that. So I'm wondering, one, are you familiar with any uh, Ignatian spirituality? And- no, I was really excited to talk to you guys because I've actually, I've emailed Richard because I did his uh, Easter services. He, he did these three Easter services over Zoom. And it was just so wonderful. And I was crying almost the entire time. And I was, my daughter was there. It was early in the morning because of the time difference. And I was holding her and they're playing hymns and little videos and there's a little homily and I'm just sort of crying. And, and part of this, I believe is psychology. Like I, I, I completely concede that the first cut is the deepest and, and your first teacher, which for me was Jesus is always going to have, um, special real estate in, in your being. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like if I was raised Hindu, I'd probably be circling back to Hinduism, if that makes sense. But when I'm going to that service, I, I emailed them and I was like, where, where are the people like this? It can't just be Richard. And uh, it sounds to me like the Jesuits are, are in that vein. And I'm asking because Val and I would love to have a place to go for ourselves would, and would love to have a place for Leela. Um, again, this is important not to fit in. Uh, in fact, right. that would make us weird in LA, but because this stuff <laughs> is clearly very important, but, but like, if I go to any service, like I'm so, I'm not proud of this. I'm so hypercritical of it. If the language is, at all wrong to me or not open enough. And then like, you can even get too open. Like I, I I clearly have a sweet spot. If you start getting a little too apologetic about your language, like Jesus, if he existed, uh, you know, like if if you do all that, I'm turned off. And if you do like, um, you know, any sort of exclusionary, it's, it's our group is right. And everybody else is wrong. So I need that sweet spot. And I was hoping that maybe you could steer me in a good direction. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I've loved about the Jesuits, I didn't know what they were I went to, until I went to a Jesuit college, and they sort of broke down a lot of the, the, the walls that I had and these, these ideas of God that I had and sort of invited me into something deeper, right? They talk a lot about like finding God in all things. And so a Jesuit is someone who you are happy to bring home to dinner or bring home to a cocktail party or bring to a slum in the developing world. Like they're, they're so comfortable in all Mm. these different places. Um, I mean, we're clearly biased, but (laughs) I mean, there are definitely some Jesuits in LA that uh, would be worth checking out. I I hear like a a, a sense of like desire for community though, in your voice where you're like, I just want somewhere to, to go to take my daughter and my wife. Is that something you feel that's like lacking right now or a little bit. I mean, that's what I love about 
another thing I love about Richie is I have a lot of these post-evangelical um, friends and they're wonderful and we hang out and, and, and we can go to the ocean and, and that is our church. And, and, you know, I'm a big, don't leave church. That's my thing. This is church. Everything is church. There you go. There's some Jesuitness, like find God and everything. I, 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 I don't need a place to keep God. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I do, there is a frequency and an energy to being with people. So uh, of a similar, to use the word frequency again, of a similar vibration, right? You get together and it, and it amplifies. It's, that's true when I've meditated with others. I've gone to Quaker meetings and, and I, you feel it there. Um, if there were, let's say, if there were 300 Richard Roars. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be okay with that. <laughs> I would run to wherever they were. And, and that's a real challenge. I know, we're back to ego games. My ego would like to say, uh, we'll do a spiritual thing as, as soon as it's perfect, right? <laughs> right. Well, I think the I think the early disciples of Jesus probably felt this way too, right? Especially after he is ascended into heaven, and it, right. I think part of Acts is like they're like, "What do we do now?" Like the guy's gone, and Peter is like, "Actually, James kind of annoys me without Jesus here to distract me from <laughs> the way he that's talks right. about things." <laughs> that's right. Yeah that that's where you get that. Um, I think about this all the time because I'm afraid of how much it applies to me sometimes. I don't believe this, but I'm going to say it is that hell is other people, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Heaven is other people as well, too, it turns out. But church does scare me a little bit. Um, There's a certain, you see it in any spiritual community. Um, I'm afraid of being false. I'm afraid of falling back into my church mode. Um, where I'm not swearing or I'm not complaining or I'm not gossiping or all these things that I know I'm going to do as soon as I'm in the car. Um, and I'm really yearning for a community that, that is, that is not only inclusive of other people's beliefs and other people's sexualities and other people's everything, but that's inclusive of my humanity as well. But we can get together and enjoy God as we can. Um, it's just, you can hear how loaded it is because, you know, church is sort of a dirty word to, to people like me. So it's really hard to think that, um, and as somebody in show business, if somebody was going to get up and speak, I mean, it's hard for me to not look at it critically from like five different different standpoints. It's hard for me to dissolve into it and surrender to it. So I think I'm afraid of it and I stay away from it. Um, and I get more juice out of books because you can just close the book if it's not for you. <laughs> right. It, it, it's, it gets awkward when you walk out of a, of a stand-up set or a, or a homily. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> can't, really, can't really do that. <laughs> And maybe that's my maybe that's my work. I mean, it, it's like I I want to be open, and and you're talking about Jesuits being comfortable, and I'm talking about nine tenths of the task is not losing your center. Some heavy work remains for me in being able to go home to my parents with my heart open, and to be able to go into a place of worship with my heart open. Well, that seems like a good place to end, except for one final question that we ask all of our guests. Um, So if you could canonize someone, Catholic or not, living or dead, fictional or or real, 
who would it be and why? And just to make it more interesting, you've basically already canonized Richard. <laughs> so we're not going to let you do him. <laughs> it has to be someone else. <laughs> it doesn't have to be, but. No, I hear you. It'd be you. nice if it was someone else. <laughs> yes. It sounds like you guys have already canonized Richard. Um, he is that guy that I'm like, is anyone else hearing this? Like, and, and when I listen to him. You know what I, sorry. Like, I love that you love him, but then my mom, who's like, an accountant loves him and like sends me yeah. his emails every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It makes me excited. There are, I'm not putting down your mom. There's different levels of roar. You know what I mean? There's the, inter- I'm not saying your mom's at the introductory level, but you know, the emails <laughs> or, or I see a lot of uh, a lighter introductory roar when you get really into it. He's really iconoclastic and, and a little bit dangerous. And, and I wouldn't like him if he wasn't. Um, he's, he's a guy that I feel like you get him off the record. He'd be pretty, pretty wild (laughs) in, in the way that I see the Holy spirit as being ever changing, ever flowing, ever moving. Anyway, um, he, he's already in our canon and that's fine. I love turning people on to the people that have turned me on. Um, so I don't want to just give you one, but, but Ramdas for me was, was huge. I always tell people not to start with Be Here Now. A lot of people start with Be Here Now because that's the the book that sort of everybody knows that book. There's a series called Experiments in Truth um, on iTunes. That's what I tell people. You should listen to him speak. But he's the guy who, when I was hard, hardened uh, to all of this, he's just the saint, the like the patron saint of like, I'm flawed, I'm angry, I'm neurotic. I'm horny and I I also crave living spirit and I I want it and I want to share it with you and by any means necessary and he and he loves Christ and that and then I was like what's going on you know is I write about this in the book that his guru in India was quoting Christ I was like this is so confusing to me I didn't I didn't think that was happening so it w- it would be Ramdas and then Love Wins by Rob Bell is is really really important. I think to salve specifically that the hell wound that I think a lot of good natured and loving people are carrying. Alan Watts, if if now we're we're sort of moving away. Let me know. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna make it a crowded Mount Rushmore for you, <laughs> so we can move into Alan Watts, who is for everybody and just go on YouTube and type in Alan Watts and enjoy. And then if you want to make it even less uh, specific, um, you go to Eckhart Tolle and you just say, here's, here's no deification. Here's no symbol system. Here's just someone bringing you back into your body, back into your breath and back into the moment. And guess what? As Richard would say, if you're present, you'll feel the presence. So if somebody writes me and people do all the time and they're like, Hey, I'm in a very dark place. I can't handle religion. I always tell them to go to the power of now or the or a new earth by Eckhart Tolle. Well, Saints Ram, Rob, Alan, and Eckhart, uh, pray for us. Pray for us. Uh, Pete, uh, the book is Comedy Sex God. It's such a great memoir. Congratulations on it. I know it's been out for a little bit now, but it's listeners, if you haven't read it, go go find the book. Um, is there anything else you want to plug right now? Well, um, only because it might be interesting. I wrote two episodes of The Simpsons that are about this. 
They're so and, good. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so fun. So it, they're called War and Priests. They're on Hulu now. Um, and that, that would be cool if people want to check that out. All right. The episodes are War and Priests. Pete, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. My pleasure. Sincerely, I love this. I really do. And I needed it. I was having sort of a heavy morning with everything that's going on. And then uh, mm-hmm. it's nice to step yeah. back and and think about the things that are that will always be going on, no matter what's going on, the constants and the eternal. It's really, it's helpful for me to recenter like that. Right. Amen. Thanks, Pete. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Jesuitical is produced by Sebastian Gomes. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Faith Formation provided by Father Eric Sundrup. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Jesuitical is a production of America Media in New York City. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis and Vivian Cabrera. We'll see you next week. Oblate School of Theology is a Catholic graduate school that provides theological education for the Church's mission and ministry in the world. Inspired by the charism of the missionary Oblates of Mary Immaculate, Oblate School of Theology educates, forms, and renews men and women to preach the gospel to the most abandoned. OST prepares Catholic priests, deacons, seminarians, non-Catholic clergy, women religious, and lay ministers through the integration of pastoral experience and theological study. Visit ost.edu to learn more about program options. That's ost.edu.